Hey, bookies. What's a bookie, you say? Well, it's a book-interrupted listener, and I'm hoping it'll also be a book-interrupted blog reader. We've reformatted the blog this season to include a different theme for every single day. So we have Manuscript Monday, Topic Tuesday, Word Wednesday, Thought Thursday, Fact Friday, and Silly Saturday. The Sunday segment remains unchanged, so don't worry if that's the piece that you know and love, you can still have that and more. Don't forget to check out the blog at www.bookinterrupted.com. You can't spend all the time just listening to the podcast. Parental guidance is recommended because this episode has mature topics and strong language. Here are some moments you can look forward to during this episode of Book Interrupted. I think Kamloops was where the first Mm -hmm. mass grave was unearthed. Why anyone would think that it's a goddamn good idea to call a child by a number. And for her grandmother's generation and her mother's generation, they were basically concentration camps. They were work camps. And it's just Mm -hmm. so crazy because that was the laws. Like, could you imagine if the law was so infringing on your right? I can't imagine believing in something that much that I would treat children that way. Reasons residential schools were so bad. I'm like, they're bad enough, but because the effects are felt over several generations. Disrupted mind, body, and soul. Inspiration is the goal. And we're gonna talk it out. On Book Interrupted. Welcome to Book Interrupted, a book club for busy people to connect and one that celebrates life's interruptions. Hi, I'm Sarah. I started Book Interrupted and asked the closest people to me to be part of it. First, I asked my sister. Hi, I'm Meredith, the sister. My first friend. Hi, I'm Kim, the first friend. My old roommate. Hi, I'm Lindsay, the old roommate. My high school friend. Hi, I'm Kara, the high school friend. My good friend and Kara's sister. That's me. Hi, I'm Leah, Sarah's friend, Kara's sister, and the final member of Book Interrupted. If you'd like to join along, This book cycle is from October 24th to December 4th. It's Kim's book pick, and we're reading They Called Me Number One by Bev Stellars. In this frank and poignant memoir of her years at the St. Joseph Mission, Stellars breaks her silence about the residential school's lasting effects on her and her family. From substance abuse to suicide attempts, and eloquently articulates her own path to healing. Published in 2013, They Called Me Number One, Secrets and Survival at an Indian Residential School by Bev Sellers won the 2014 George Riga Award for Social Awareness, was shortlisted for the 2014 Hubert Evans Nonfiction, and was a finalist for the 2014 Burt Award for First Nations, Métis, and Inuit Literature and the BC Book Prize Nonfiction. Bev Sellers is a former chief and counselor of the Hatsul, Soda Creek First Nations in Williams Lake, British Columbia. She also worked as a community advisor for the BC Treaty Commission. 
Sellers has spoken out on racism in residential schools and on the environmental and social threats of mineral resources exploitation. She is also the author of Price Paid, The Fight for the First Nations Survival, published in 2016. She has a degree in history from the University of Victoria and a law degree from the University of British Columbia. All right, so it's personal journal time. Let's see what the members of Book Interrupted thought outside the group. Okay, this is take four for the first personal journal for my book choice, which is They Called Me Number One by Bev Sellers. Here is a shot of it for those of you who are watching this personal journal and not just listening to it. It's take four because it's really hard for me to make sure that I honor everything I want to honor while I do this. And yeah, it's just hard. My uh, white fragility, guilt, all these things that I've gained awareness about are totally flared up and I just want to do a good job is the point. So number four it is, hopefully, lucky number four. I wanted to explain that I would like to start with a land acknowledgement. And the reason I am is because I recently learned how land acknowledgements can be made more meaningful. And this is on theme with kind of what I think and feel and struggle with in terms of reconciliation. So first I'd like to acknowledge that I'm coming from the unceded territory of the Okanagan people, specifically in my area. I believe that I am on silk territory. And one of the ways that I enjoy the land that I currently get to share that I live on here is for the lake that is by my house. I float in that lake in the summer. It is like meditation for me. It feels super protective. It's like a a cool, calm hug. Like I can't, it's very difficult for me to put into words how important floating in that lake with the water over my ears is, but it's very important. And I have extreme gratitude for that experience alone, but also the lake cools me when it's super hot and I get to play there with my son and family and friends. So that piece of land, like that part of the land where I live is a huge part of my enjoyment of my life and time with my friends and family. So the reason why I wanted to acknowledge the land in that way is because I recently learned that just saying I'm coming from wherever and then moving on is not really a meaningful way to do a land acknowledgement. And then we are crossing into the part where I kind of struggle with reconciliation. Anyway, in learning about indigenous studies, I learned that a lot of the kind of theme between settlers and Indigenous people is a lot of talk and no action, or a lot of talk which are lies and then action to the contrary. And that's one of the things that makes me angriest about the history of this country. And so when we get to the Truth and Reconciliation Act, I am highly skeptical and very sensitive to, is this just more talk and no action? And so... That is what kind of fuels my desire to make reconciliation, reconciliation. You may have heard that before. I first heard that term at a organization called Indigenize, which is a great organization if you are interested in learning more about 
Canada's history and how you can become an ally. Anyways, reconciliation, meaning I don't want to just talk about it. I just don't, I don't want to say like, oh yeah, I want it to be more meaningful and I don't want it to continue this ongoing pattern that I can observe throughout the history, which is just a bunch of hot air. And so if it's going to mean something, it needs to mean something. And it's what informs my decision to highlight Indigenous voices when I choose my books. It is what informed my decision to do a land acknowledgement in the way that I did a land acknowledgement for the beginning of this personal journal. So there is that as one of the reasons why I chose this book. Another thing is that I didn't choose this book, full disclosure. First, I actually chose a book that I just wanted to read selfishly. And I was reminded by an individual in a workshop, I believe with Indigenize actually, about how important it is for me to continue to highlight Indigenous voices and like for us to, you know, not turn our attention away, basically. And this particular book is going to be one that it's very difficult to not turn your attention away because it is going to be uncomfortable. It's, it's probably not nice. It's about residential schools. And we need to know what happened there. And we need to learn about it. And we need to listen and hear and witness and anything else that you can do by taking in a story that someone took the time to write and tell. I chose this book after I was reminded by that woman about the importance of continuing to do what I had originally set out to do when I was joining this podcast. Also because it was the time when the residential school mass graves were being acknowledged. And so I wanted to specifically go residential school, find a book by an Indigenous author. Full circle back to the land acknowledgement, the author of this book whose name is Bev Sellers. She is writing about the St. Joseph's mission at Williams Lake, which is in British Columbia. And so because the land is the same land, provincially speaking, where I reside, I thought that is a good starting point. So it's by someone who currently lives in the same country I live in, in the same province I live on, and it's about a topic that I feel will be difficult, but is very important to continue to learn about. And it's one of my best efforts in a way to make reconciliation, reconciliation. So I hope that you will join us in reading this book. Hello and welcome. We are talking about, we're just starting to read, they Called Me Number One by Bev Sellers. And I'm really happy that Kim picked this book because I've been wanting to read this book. Well, in general, more books on the residential schools, in particular this one. And I, I'm just really upset and sad to say that, unfortunately, we didn't learn a lot in school about the residential schools. And I was listening to an interview with Bev Sellers about her book and her writing it and how she felt, you know, that she cried so much writing it, but she felt very important to release this book, to write it and to also to release the book to the public because people need to know. And she says that this history must be taught in schools. And I 100% agree. You know, I wish we'd learned more. I wish we all would have been taught more about this you know she talks in her interview about how she was being programmed to be something that she was not and what a horrible 
thing that those schools did. The story is about her and the three generations of women in her family, her grandmother, her mother, and her, who went to residential schools, in particular the St. Joseph's Mission at Williams Lake. And it's called They Called Me Number One because number one is the number that they gave her because they took away her name and dehumanized her with a number and she says even 90 years after she left St. Joseph's Mission my grandmother still remembers she was number 27 my mom remembers her number was 71 anyways so I'm looking forward to reading this book I just uh, started just a tiny bit at the beginning but I'm going to jump right in and hopefully learn a lot more about what happened which I know is going to be really hard to read, but also really important. Hi. Uh, I haven't read a lick of it yet. I haven't read any one sentence. I haven't even read the back yet, but I have an idea of what it's about, and I am really nervous. Nervous feels selfish, actually. I am intrigued, and I know I'm going to be uncomfortable with what I'm learning about and learning about the real history of residential schools in my country and I know it's going to be a really uncomfortable read and therefore I can't say I'm looking forward to it but I know it's an important thing to read so until I know more I won't say more I'm really grateful that Kim chose the book and I will let you know some stuff on my personal journal too thanks bye All right, this is my first personal journal for They Called Me Number One. So I wasn't actually 100% sure what to expect with this book. Now that I've read, I've read up up to chapter five now. It's actually a really, the way she writes, it's very easy to read. She kind of just moves you along. She's painted a picture of her family very clearly. She even put like a generational map here so you can refer back to it. I love all the stories from her living with her grandma in the log house. So right now they've, she's talked a little bit about being in the residential home in the mission and what that was like for her. I've read Five Little Indians and which is a fictional book based on uh, residential schools. I've done a little bit of my own personal reading about residential schools. So I knew some of the things already that she just mentions The way she paints the picture is she just mentions these things. Like, for instance, her grandmother always making sure everyone has enough covers because she remembers how cold it was all the time because they never had enough warmth when they were sleeping at night because they didn't keep the residential school and that kind of thing. But it's still very much a memoir and her perspective on her life. She even talks about when she had to go to a hospital for tuberculosis. So I'm going to keep on reading. I do really like how she she writes to be quite honest it it makes it easy to keep on reading even though the topic is heavy you know and it's sad but the way she writes it is it's very easy to read it's the only way I can describe it her writing style it just kind of moves you along because she just pops in different people that she's already mentioned she's literally just giving you a picture and then moving on to the next thing It moves very quick from one thing to the next. She'll be talking about one thing and then pop in another memory. 
It doesn't leave you caught in one moment because she pops right into a next moment. It's not like she's spending a chapter on one moment in time. That's the best way I can describe it. So I'm going to keep on reading and let you know how I, what I think. But so far, it seems like it's a, an easy book to read considering the topic. Also, I think it's really sad. She, I went to the spot where she, so her grandmother and her mother both went to the same residential school as she did. And she gives you a little bit of history about what it was like when your grandma went and a little bit of history of what it was like when her mom went and how it was different when she went. And that her mother and grandmother and her great aunt all remember the number they gave them. I just think it's so, when you really think about all the things she's mentioning, because then she moves on to the next thing. But after you stop reading the book, you end up thinking about the little comments she made and you just think, how could they do that to children? Like not even willing to learn their names. And also in the book, she mentioned that it was very clear to them. They were just trying to get, they had to get their numbers for how many children went to the school. So sometimes there'd be a 10 year old in a kindergarten class because they didn't care about their age. They only cared about getting the numbers and that was the first day they had gone to the mission. So they're in kindergarten. Anyway, that's all I have to say about that so far. I'll let you know halfway through. Hello everybody. It's Kara here. And before I get started, I just want to do a shout out to Kim. I tend to be a creature of habit and tend to also gravitate towards what is familiar. I almost like to guarantee myself a great read and so I seldom sway from my usual picks but because of Kim and her efforts and her commitment to continue to learn and never forget when it comes to Indigenous affairs in particular in Canada. I just want to say thank you so much, Kim, for choosing this book. Last season, she had also chosen a book written by a Métis author, and she's really helping myself as well as the rest of Book Interrupted with continuing to be good allies and trying our best, or said another way by one of our guests to continue to stumble forward. So thank you so much, Kim. And so far, so good. I had kind of mentally and emotionally prepared myself for a hard read. You know, oftentimes when it comes to learning, it's a little bit uncomfortable because our preconceived notions and perspectives might be played with, you know, might be invited to consider other alternatives. So I've certainly kind of prepping myself like, okay, Kara, it's not about your comfort level. It is about doing the work, the anti-racism work. You're going to read this book. And not that I didn't want to read it. You know, it's just book focuses on the residential school system and one woman's experience through it as a young one growing up in Canada. Going into it, it's not like I was like, yippee skippy, it's going to be all sunshine and lollipops because it's certainly not. But so far, I've been able to get through uh, the chapters with relative ease. And I think that that's a point worth highlighting here because how can we hear about our history 
the many sides of our history, the many stories? How can we learn about past experiences? And how can we as a nation and individuals within that nation continue to learn and grow if we can't get through the material? And I know it's not about, I don't know, I guess what I'm trying to say is it doesn't have to be a comfortable, easy read in order for us to give like two thumbs up. However, it is helpful. I'm able to absorb the material because of the way that Bev Sellers writes. It's very much an account, just a retelling and very factual information. And you don't linger in one place for too long. So that's kind of really nice to be able to read through a chapter and just be like, okay, so that's what happened. And really it's only after the fact after you finish reading you put the book down uh, Sarah mentioned this in our group intro it's that's when the meaning making and the understanding and deeper learning occurs so so far I am very much enjoying the book and I can't wait to continue reading it I'll check in with you guys later first personal journal for the book they called me number one by Bev Sellers this book is about residential schools it's a memoir and it talks not just about one person, but multiple generations in a family that are affected by residential schools. I mean, just from the title, you can tell that things that happened at these supposed schools were not great, like giving children numbers instead of names, for example. It might be strange to say, but I've been looking forward to reading this book. It's strange to say because it's going to be an emotional book, because there's going to be some very difficult things to read in there and surely not as difficult as for me as the people who had to experience them. But I am looking forward to learning more about Canadian history, the history that was not taught to me in school that perhaps should have been, even though it's shameful and dark and really surprising that anybody could do that to children. You know, it's nice that this has been chosen for Book Interrupted for a couple of reasons. There's a lot of books out there about residential schools. I haven't picked one up yet. And it's nice that Kim chose this book. So she kind of chose the book for me, which is always nice. Also, I'll have some people to talk to about it so that I can help process what's in the book and maybe let it sink in a little bit more so that it sticks with me. I really think that one way that we can help change our unconscious bias in society as a whole as our like culture as a whole is for people to learn about these things that make them feel uncomfortable and actively try to change our bias by exposing ourselves to the things that go against the historical ideas that are so damaging so I don't know if I'm making myself clear I feel like I'm just babbling and not making any sense but uh, hopefully you know what I'm talking about here I haven't started the book yet so I don't really have much to say yet. Hopefully, next time you hear from me, I will. Even though this is a very difficult thing to talk about. See you next time. This interruption is brought to you by Unpublished. Do you want to know more about the members and in Book Interrupted? Go behind the scenes? Visit our website at www.bookinterrupted.com. Book Interrupted. Here's an annoying interruption that is becoming more frequent, unfortunately for me. Recently, I have taken to bursting into tears while I'm at work. <laughs> I think that it's something to do with my menstrual cycle and potentially hormone levels as I 
am either in perimenopause or enter perimenopause. But there seems, it seems to be fairly predictable that about two weeks before I get my period, I am hyper emotional. And so if I'm talking to anyone about anything that is like remotely personal, I start bawling my eyes out. <laughs> I have been, I don't know if you want to call it brave, because I know it's taboo usually to discuss your period, but I literally have even told my boss, I'm like, listen, I, I think this is related to my cycle. I'm not actually this upset, but if you could just bear with me while I cry every once in a while, we should get along just fine. Book interrupted. Let's listen in to this episode's group discussion. Uh, welcome to Book Interrupted. This cycle, we are reading a book called... They Called Me Number One by Bev Sellers. This is a story of an individual's experience at residential school. I'd rather turn off my computer and like, it's weird for me to be doing it to a blank screen. I think too. that's fine. What you just said is fine yeah, as, a, as a starter really... and then you can add more later. Okay, I'll see you guys in five to 50 minutes. God. <laughs> Good, Good luck to you. <laughs> Kim is having technical difficulties and her computer froze. So she's gone away for a minute. So she will come back in a minute and explain why she chose the why book. She- but for now, we're going to talk amongst ourselves until she comes back. Right. So I haven't started the book. I don't have the book. Again, the summer got away from me. I feel like life is falling apart, but that's fine. It'll get back together eventually. <laughs> so I was reading a CBC article about the book. It was very short. And from what I understand, it talks about the author's experience in residential school, but also its impacts on multiple generations. Mm-hmm. So, which is one of the reasons residential schools were so bad. I'm like, they're bad enough, but because the effects are felt over several generations, it will take a long time to, to not be feeling those effects in a family. And that's mm-hmm. very sad. I don't know. I think this book's going to be tough because just reading about the book brought on some very strong feelings. So I don't know if there might be some tears. It was a tough read for sure. Um, I Did finished it, the book and I knew I was in trouble after feeling an emotional kind of ping from the title and just not even being able to, based on my own experiences, understand why anyone would think that it's a goddamn good idea to call a child by a number. It was hard enough to get over that hump. And then I was like, no, I'm going to continue to read because Kim has been really great at encouraging our group to be committed allies by continuing to learn and not forget. And so that was really the only motivation that pushed me forward was I, I was like, yep, it will likely make me uncomfortable. And that is not enough for me to stop reading. Someone posted on social media that it's not a good enough excuse not to tell children the history of residential schools in our school system currently, because that's an argument that it's too traumatic to teach children this when children had to live through being in residential schools, if the Indigenous students had to live through it, then Mm -hmm. this generation of children can handle reading about what happened and learning about what happened. So I agree with that. And the forward of this book, that's one of the things that they believe that this book should be implemented in the school system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for non-Aboriginal institutions, make this part of the curriculum. 
right learn the history of the country not just the comfortable stuff yeah like, and not just from a really, colonial perspective yeah let's really just see what happened really understand what happened in the past so we can not repeat it yeah i wish we'd learned in school we didn't get to learn any of these things and that's no. horrible and unfortunate and i think we would be at a different place now if we'd all learned about it when we were younger instead of the whitewashing of our history that we learned in school mm -hmm. our colonial perspective as you said I started reading the book just a bet, but then that was a while ago. So I was looking through just like Kara said about the different generations and stuff. I like how it starts because she really talks about there's a whole kind of family tree, which I think helped a lot when she was describing all her different, you know, the generations. I think the first chapter is called My Grandmother and Others Before Me. And she has photos of her and her ancestors and you know, just uh, like maps and different things, which I find just in a logistical, emotional aside, but logistical standpoint, you know, when you're reading a book and there's a lot of different characters or people, and then they have kind of a lexicon at the beginning that explains who all the people are. So I think that's useful for me, at least, because I get lost in the names of you know, who everybody is and who they are and how they're connected to who. And so mm -hmm. I kept flipping back and forth in between the the chart of her family ancestors and who she's talking about and who they are and how they're connected and which I think is a, a great place to start mm -hmm. yeah I appreciate that in the book as well mm -hmm. right they always do that in fantasy books I always I love that in fantasy books because it's I always the, the map is like the best yeah. part too where the world is yeah, yeah so that would be so fun to do but I'm, that I know it's going to be a hard book, but I flew through the first little bit and I just haven't had time in the recent bit, but I think, mm -hmm. I don't know how, Carrie, you finished it. It was okay. Yeah. I think the emotional part is what added a slower pacing, but mm -hmm. just to read the words themselves, it was very different from Jesse Thistle's book because I'm, I'm going to compare them because within Book Interrupted, these have been our two main like indigenous uh, stories but like Jesse did a lot more showing in his storytelling Bev did a lot more telling which I find is an easier quicker read because it's almost just getting into the factual this happened and at this time with these people in this way instead of getting into like symbolism and metaphor mm. yeah yeah I can tell at the beginning it's very kind of factual and this is the information mm -hmm. yeah I agree I think it's going to be, well, for me, I just started yesterday and I've already read to the fifth chapter. I think it's Whoa. a quick read because, and I said this in my personal journal, she mentions a moment in time that is immediately to the next moment and another mm -hmm. memory comes to her. And then she mentions that. So it ends up going by quickly because it's not like there's a chapter on one moment in time, the chapters mm -hmm are many moments constantly changing. And it's when you put down the book that you start going back to things that she's mentioned that happened at the residential schools. Not a side note, but she mentions it, but she's already moved on to the next thing. So now you're moving mm -hmm. on to the next thing. So it's only when you put down the book, you start thinking about the moment she mentions. For instance, she said that, I think it was her grandmother or her mother would always make sure all the children when they were home had enough blankets at night because what she remembers most 
is trying to sleep cold because they didn't heat the residential schools during the winter and they were always cold. So she mentions that, but then she's on to the next thing. So after you put down the book, you start thinking about it, you know, when you go to sleep about how those children's for nine months of the year, they were cold. They couldn't complain or do anything. So I think the book is very difficult when you put it down, but it's going to be a very quick read as you read it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you're right. It's those lingering moments because it is, it's so like da 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 and it's almost chronological too. Like super easy because it's linear. It's not cyclical or circular the way that Jesse's writing is. But you're right. It's like only when you put down the book that all of a sudden you're like, hold up. Were they just talking about how the drama that would go on over just getting a pair of shoes? shoes and you'd yeah. think new shoes, isn't that a great thing? That's awesome. You're going to get some footwear. You won't have like blisters, but no, it then creates another problem. If the nuns gave you a brand new pair of shoes, you were like dead meat amongst your peers. And then those moments, yeah, Sarah, like what you were saying, they would start to sink in and then you'd be like, oh my God, what would that be like? But when you're reading it, you're not really processing what it would be like. Right. So the emotional investment comes later. The processing yes. comes yeah. later. That's a great feature for a book like this. Because I think the emotional side is what makes it people want to just say like, well, I don't want to feel those feelings. <laughs> so I'm not going to learn. And if the book itself can uh, let you learn first, and then mm -hmm. the emotions come later, then maybe more of it sticks. You know, like when you're stressed, it's hard to learn. Yeah. Right. Now that you say that, there was a part of me that was getting a bit judgmental. Like I would weave in and out of, well, Bev isn't writing like Jesse. And then finally, I'm like, there are two different authors, Kara. You've got to drop this. But you're right. What you explained, Meredith, is I wonder if what Bev has to share with us, what a great feature, because it, does increase the likelihood that a reader will get through more material. And this is very important information. And potentially retain it too. Like when you yeah. read something under stress, you're less likely to retain it. And what we need is more people to learn about the past and remember. Yeah. Right? Like both. You can't just read the book and then move on. Mm -hmm. I read that book, Five Little Indians. It's a fiction book about residential schools, but based on things that happened at the residential schools that were traumatic, I thought this was potentially going to be similar. So that was a very, very hard book to read. Like it was hard to pick it back up because it, it shows five people who survived residential schools and their lives from the residential school and how they coped as adults because of the trauma they experienced at residential school. So some of the things in that book, she mentions in this book, but like I said, one page or the comment about like kneeling for long periods of time mm -hmm. those kind of things or children not being able to play with each other or peeing the bed things in the five little indians it the story was like a chapter about that kind of abuse and what happened where she mentions it and then the next paragraph she's on to another thing that happened to her personally or just talking about a teacher she remembers or a memory or things that she liked you know, like Meredith was saying, it makes you take in the information, but if you know anything or have read other things about residential schools, then it almost triggers that memory after you put down the book. Mm -hmm. 
was anyone else shocked to learn about the lack of medical and health support in the, I, I had, I just completely caught myself as I was reading it, that I had this assumption that even though it's a residential school and yeah, bad things go on there, surely they include medical care when it's warranted and needed. And I was blown away. But they called them residential schools, but they weren't schools. They were right? They were prisons. <laughs> yeah. Right? They were being punished for being born. You know? Yes. You're being punished for being who you are. Like, and yeah. for her grandmother's generation and her mother's generation, they were basically concentration camps. They were work camps. I know, eh? Mm -hmm. But labeled as a school. The idea was sold that they are being... I don't know, like assimilated, assimilated. Mm -hmm. Is that the word? Yeah. Into white Christian the white man is helping them to be fully integrated members of right. our white European society. Yeah. It's horrible. Oh, look, Kim's here. That's horrible. That's horrible. And yay, Kim's here. Hi. Hello. Why is your face like You're that? You're back. That's what happens when I have to go through that process twice in one morning. Oh, oh my. <laughs> anyway, it's my fault. I need a new computer. <laughs> okay, well, while Audacity is opening, does everybody want to see the big reveal of what I'm wearing? Yes. This is the big reveal. Yes. It's not that big of a reveal. Let's see it. No underwear. What? <gasps> no underwear. What? <laughs> Stumble, 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 stumble. A little bit of swag in support of Squiggy and our work with him in White Fragility. Bought the stumble, 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 stumble forward shirt that was designed by Leah and Squiggy, I think, I believe. And that he's been wearing on uh, on social media because I figured I would wear it today for our discussion about the residential schools. Thanks. So we can Love stumble, it. stumble, 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 stumble forward. And speak about this. On the stumble forward topic, I was doing Sanya's cultural training. I think it's indigenous specifically cultural training. Like it gives you the a brief history. And part of the training is you have to interact with other people doing it. So there's chat rooms or whatever. And I said stumble forward. I said a friend of mine once put the work into the context of stumbling forward. And I said, it really resonated with me and it, and it stuck with me ever since. And I went on to say, you know, you can't not do it just because it's difficult or you're going to make mistakes or whatever. And so many people were like, I love stumble forward, stumble forward. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm glad I wasn't like, I think stumble forward. <laughs> like, I would have yeah. felt so bad after if I had to backtrack and be like, actually it wasn't me. It was a friend of mine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, it really okay. resonates wide yeah. scope. You can buy it online at www.bookinterrupted.com slash shop, 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 slash shop. I think so, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's it. So what did I miss? We were done. We talked about the book. We're all done. It's over. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> uh -huh. it's over. Do you want to share with us? So do you want to say why you picked the book? Yes. So I picked the book because I made a uh, commitment to try to highlight Indigenous authors or Indigenous stories, I guess, for lack of a better word, with this experience on Book Interrupted, like the stumbling forward thing. I find it hard to know how to do anything without stepping on all of those white fragility-related toes that you can as a privileged person trying to be an ally. 
And so that is why I picked a book by an Indigenous author. I also picked this book because I think around the time we were deciding on books, residential schools, it was more in the media because of the original findings in, I think Kamloops was where the first Mm -hmm. mass grave was unearthed. And so I thought it was on topic too. I narrowed it down to like a residential school kind of piece rather than just any indigenous author or, you know, so not that, uh, the last time I picked, it wasn't any indigenous author either. It was a book that I had heard about and wanted to read and it came back around in a really cool kind of synchronicity kind of way. Anyway, so this time it was more intentional for sure. And that is why I chose it. So I'm hoping by me picking it, other people will now be exposed to it. And so more people will learn about or understand just how crazy and bad and unfathomable it is that a large chunk of Canada's history was this. So that's why. All good reasons. Yeah. Not only was a large chunk this, but so many people don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Or how chunk. long it went on. Yes. Yeah. And how recent as well. Yeah. And how yeah. specifically terrible it was. You know, some people may have an awareness, but yeah. you know. Or that there were related laws that came about from it. What was the one law that I think Bev raised in the book when at one point Indigenous parents would go to, didn't they kind of lose their guardianship or parental rights and that they would go and serve jail time if they didn't support in sending off their kids to this prison? Yeah, like the Indian Act dictated they had to go to the school as well as then the pass system really inhibited anyone from being able to come and visit. Because I don't know where you guys are. I'm, I think, chapter five-ish. And Sarah um, is. Hey, spoiler alert, Bev ends up in the hospital and the whole time she's imagining her grandparents are going to come see her any minute and they never come. And then she adds the context, right? They didn't have a pass. They couldn't, they knew how severe the punishment would be if they were to rebel. And it's just Mm -hmm. so crazy because that was the laws. Like, could you imagine if the law was so infringing on your right? It's crazy to me. Mm -hmm all done under the guise of, well, this is to help them. This is to help them culturally. Yeah, it's such a good example of racism, right? They're just, they need us. Yeah, they're so savage. And we Mm -hmm. let, let's make them like us. When the irony is how savage is it to take fucking children away from families and like, it's brutal. Give them a number. strip them down and shame them. The amount of shaming that Bev shared, the different tactics that were used in residential schools, everything was about shame tactics to make those kids feel there is something inherently wrong with them. And the thing that's crazy to me too, is that I don't know how conscious that was. I don't know that there was an instruction set out being like, destroy them with shame. You know what I mean? I feel like it was just a, a byproduct of what you are is not okay. What you need to be is not what you are, but anyway, Mm -hmm. that's what we're going to spend the next 10 years trying to do. And then also the absolute power kind of dynamic, right? Where they were treated as less than human. And so obviously that would come with a dose of shame as well. It wasn't specifically instructed that they do that. And yet every, well, not every, but like the majority of the tactics and management of the 
participants or I guess captives is a better word was done in such a way like that, right? Like it was all abusive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think that there was to your point. I don't imagine that there was like training for the nuns and like, I don't know, the priests to go to. And when you're teaching the children that we must make sure that you use shame tactics, you're right. I think it just came about. And I asked my husband what his experiences were like going to, he didn't go to a residential school, but he did for the grand majority of his life, go to Catholic school when it was run by the priests and the nuns. He said it was horrible. If you demonstrated in any way, and again, this is just his own personal opinion. Yeah, anytime you had an idea that was counter to the narrative of what you were supposed to absorb, yeah, you would be reprimanded. You were not an individual, you take orders, yeah, it's pretty brutal. It's also like a reflection of the journey of children in general. There was a time when they were the workers at the most dangerous factories because they could fit into the parts that the grownups couldn't fit in. So they had to go like grease the wheels and whoops, we're killing kids. Like, yeah. so there's like a whole history of children, like not really having any rights to, but then add like that layer of racism on top and that layer of superiority and discipline and children should be seen and not heard all of that stuff. It's just pretty insane to think about how far we've come or how far we need to go still too, obviously. You have to, those nuns and priests and stuff must have had to have believed so fully they were doing the right thing in order to behave that way towards children. I can't imagine believing in something that much that I would treat children that way or that I would treat anyone that way. It doesn't matter what they, you know, I know we're in a different life and generation or whatever, but that's just a basic human decency. Like I can't imagine believing in something that much, although I'm also not religious. So I guess there's a huge component of dehumanization in order for someone to be able to do that to someone else. Right. So that speaks to just mm -hmm. how dehumanized the indigenous population was, as well as some kind of a belief in corporal punishment. You know what I mean? Like some mm -hmm. kind of an understanding that this is how you do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess there's a, I don't want to say generational trauma because I feel like that's taking away from the indigenous experience, speaking in the way of raising children and the knowledge that has mm -hmm. been eventually agreed upon. It was not like that in the beginning, right? Like you just beat your kids. And then they came into line, right? Nobody realized, mm -hmm. oh, that's abuse. And that's how you fuck them up too, right? Or, so. that there, or that there's other ways to go about addressing poor choices or poor behavior. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's other behavior management techniques or whatever. But numbering them was another way to dehumanize them. That's what mm -hmm. they do in the Holocaust too. That's a tactic to dehumanize people is by giving them mm -hmm. numbers and not names. So it's easier to treat them less. Yeah. Less if they don't have a name. Mm -hmm. This is off topic, mm -hmm. but that's what some people say about protecting yourself against being abused, maybe by a kidnapper or something, is like you tell them your name and you try to humanize yourself so that they can't just separate you and do whatever, you know what I mean? Like, so mm -hmm. it works both ways, I guess. I think I'm really detached while I read it. Like I read it factually. And I think so far, honestly, she tells it in such a way that it is readable, which I think is important. I think that I don't think she should censor her truth, obviously, but I think that it needs to be readable so that people will read it and get that information. Right. But when I like 
take the time to actually think about it and think about kids or think about my own kids being taken away, then it gets really emotional, right? So it's hard, but it's necessary, I guess, too. That's one of the things we were saying when you were gone, that very factual. So it's like she takes moments and she adds memories to it. So it's not like an entire chapter is about a moment and that how she'll mention something like not being warm at night or kneeling overnight or peeing the bed or whatever, but she moves on to the next memory and it's very fast read, but it's only when you put down the book, like Mm. you said, that you start thinking, reflecting. yes, reflecting and just that's when you absorb it. And that's when you like affects you, but the actual reading of the book, you can take in the information because the way she wrote it. And that's good to the next memory. And that's good. good. Like Mary was saying, you can't take in the information if you're feeling very stressed. So I think like the Ford said, this would be perfect in schools. This should be added to the curriculum. Yeah, should be. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Book Interrupted. If you'd like to see the video highlights from this episode, please go to our YouTube channel, Book Interrupted. You can also find our videos on www.bookinterrupted.com. The impact books have on our lives is not limited to the words written between the covers. Some books inspire new thoughts and send us to unexpected places. Follow me, Meredith, as I descend further and further in my recurring blog segment, Down the Rabbit Hole, at www.bookinterrupted.com blog. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Book Interrupted. Moments you can look forward to on next week's Book Interrupted. It's not over. They're not finished finding bodies. Indigenous women still forced, coerced into sterilization, a Senate report from June 3rd, 2021. I don't know. I'm probably going to be risky here, but that's literally like a giant Canadian Holocaust. And if you continually ask for an apology and that eventually comes, it doesn't really feel genuine, does it? Wow. I guess she must be a chef herself. That's where my brain was like going. And I was like, oh, you dumb dumb. It's genie. In the bedroom. Just in the bedroom. Uncomfortable positions. Oh boy. For other people. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Cause it's like not lost on me that we're a bunch of white girls talking about it. Book interrupted. Never forget every child matters.